Right, okay, welcome everyone to the Mortal Insights podcast, a podcast by myself. I'll just quickly introduce myself. My name is Morgan. I am a 20, well, currently 25 years old living in London. Um, I've, I wouldn't say I've made it so much on social media at all, but I do have a social media um, with a small following based around my bodybuilding. Um, I was a soldier for seven years, and when I came out, I went into the bodyguarding industry. I will touch more on them different subjects at another time, but the whole emphasis of Mortal Insights is because, or is just to get an idea of what people's lives are like, and not just myself, but other people out there, your average person that you may walk past in the street, you never really think about them and think, you know, oh, what's their story, you know, what what have they been through, but you may hear, you may hear friends talking about stuff, whether it's bullshit, whether it's real, but in some way, shape or form, everyone has had some interesting experiences. You might know people who have interesting jobs. You might know people who have had near-death experiences. All of the above is stuff that we are going to talk about in the podcast. And then I am going to be getting guests on as well. Um, that's the main insight so I can get them people to talk about themselves. And also some friendly guests as well who we're going to have a laugh with. Obviously with the coronavirus pandemic, that big thing that's been happening. Um, I won't be able to get anyone on until we can actually, no, saying that, tell a lie. Today's the 29th of March 2021. By government rules, I think we're allowed six people around our houses now. So, that means I can start booking people. Fantastic, right. I will get right on that. So, what I'm going to be talking about today is mainly something that a lot of people have asked me in my life and I don't want to rant on about myself too much but I want to give you guys an insight on what it is like to join the army at 16 years old. You are still a child at 16 no matter how invincible you feel at that age you are still only a child so in theory you are becoming a child soldier. A lot of people ask me about what it was like I think this is a way just to kind of summarize it and show and kind of give everyone an insight to what it was like to be a child soldier or to learn to become a child soldier. If you want to know what it was like growing up in London in the early 2000s, the best place to look is my friend the Cavernacle. He has a podcast, he is a YouTuber. Him and his girlfriend Holly, who is also a YouTuber, they have a podcast on Spotify called the Cavernacle Podcast and they talk about what it is like to grow up in the early 2000s in in London where we grew up and it pretty much summarizes it especially if there is anybody by chance listening from America it gives you an insight to what party culture is like to what social media within them times was like for us what the kind of British culture of that time was um, it's a great place to, uh, to listen and learn about that but we're going to be talking about what happened after school so about three years or maybe more leading up to me wanting to leave school Obviously, by that time, you're not sure what you want to do. I was dead set on joining the army. A lot of people say that, oh, I don't know if it's so much around now, but back then it was a case of, if you've got nothing else to do, you join the army. Or if you're failing at school, you join the army. There was a lot of bad stigma around that. However, it's not true. The whole fact that I wanted to join the army from a young age was just a drive to become a soldier, to better myself and to serve my country as best as I can. So going forward from that, I went on to do my interviews with the army selection process. You have to go through interviews at the careers office. Again, this was back in 2013. I don't know whether it's the same now. 
but you go through your interviews and then you go up to your selection which a selection is a two-day two-day kind of course selection test process where you do some fitness you have to do an icebreaker you have to do a couple of tests um, and you do a medical I do believe and as long as you pass all of them you're sitting outside an office you're shaking because this is the moment that you get told whether you're allowed into the army or not and then you get pulled into an office and told yay or nay at the time before selection I wanted to go in as a Royal Electrical uh, sorry no not even Royal Electrical it was just Royal Engineers I wanted to get a trade thing is is that my mind changed big time with that and not for any particular reason it was mainly because I wanted to be a soldier and nothing else I didn't really want to be a tradesman I didn't really have the motivation to do that so I then decided to sign on as a paratrooper and I did my selection as a paratrooper I was very fit back then I was constantly running 1.5 miles that was the test back then at home I was running around as I grew up in Twickenham so Twickenham Stadium there is a route around there that is about 1.5 miles and I was running that every single day just trying to get to that point where I was like right I am at paratrooper fitness which ideally I think back then was you had to run a mile and a half in just below um, nine and a half minutes and anything below that was amazing I think my quickest time was just sub 830 minutes that changed in due course but we'll get on to that right so I didn't end up joining the parachute uh, the parachute regiment I ended up joining the Coldstream Guards only because once I finished selection I was really happy I was looking forward to going in uh, as a paratrooper to learn to do P or to do P company and everything else but I got told that there was a year's waiting list. And after being told that, it was just a case of choosing. So I could either wait and continue to join the parachute regiment, which um, I didn't realize I could transfer later on, but by the time it was too late. Um, my second choice was the Coldstream Guards, and the third one was the Royal Engineers. I knew people in the Coldstream Guards. I had no real affiliation to the Guards. I had no real reason because regimental history goes back to where they recruit from. It's mainly in the Northeast and uh, I believe Southwest, so down in Cornwall area. So you get a lot of the lads from the Northeast and the, the Southwest. You get a few dotted in from around London, like myself. But looking back at the history of the Coldstream Guards, it is the longest continuous serving regiment in the British Army. and to me that was that would have been a very proud regiment to join which is why i joined them and that's what i went into to go for oh sorry to go into training as was a colstrom guard so my aspirations to join the guards i knew that i'd be in london uh, so i'd be close to home i didn't actually realize the first battalion was based in windsor which is not far from me and windsor is a beautiful place to live if you don't mind the tourists but before I had to do that, I was still only 16, going on 17, and or I think I was closer to 17 at this time. And I went to Harrogate, which is the Army Foundation College in uh, North Yorkshire. So, going to Harrogate, leaving home for the first time, was it was such a big build-up at the time, because there was moments of sadness where i'd be leaving home because you go away for initially six weeks and you don't see your family you barely talk to them um i had a girlfriend at the time i obviously didn't want to leave her 
Um, but then there was also that huge amount of excitement because I'd finally gotten to the point where I'd wanted to be for the last four years. And I tell you, I was a shit in school. <laughs> I was an absolute shit. And I had no no drive to be intellectual. You know, there's a lot of people who stayed on at school and fair play to them. I have no problem if, if you are an intellectual. <laughs> If you are an intellectual person, so this is why I'm not intellectual, I can't even speak properly. Uh, if, you, if you're an intellectual person and you want to continue education, then go for it. You know, I have no, no problems with that. However, I was not one of them people. I wanted to join the army. I wanted to fight. I wanted to learn new skills and build my life and my career in the army. So, leaving home, I remember the first day I got driven to... King's Cross Station in London. I was dropped off. Um, there was tears, there was happiness, there was all sorts of emotions going through at the time. And I got on a one-way ticket train to York. And up in York, I was still alone at this point, so I did that whole four-hour journey by myself. I get to York, never been to York before, absolutely love the place. I've been there since, and it is just one of the most beautiful towns in the UK. If you haven't been, you need to go. It is such a beautiful town. Um, so I arrive at this huge train station, which looks like something out of fucking Harry Potter. And um, I didn't, I, I could see guys in suits carrying similar stuff to me, like ironing boards and coat hangers and the basic essential things you need when you go to start training. So I kind of waddled towards them and I actually noticed one guy from London who I was on selection with and he went on to join the Royal Artillery, I believe. Um, but I remember seeing him and I was like, okay, great, I know somebody. So I started talking to him. We got on the train from York to Harrogate. We get to Harrogate. There's a bus waiting outside, a minibus. We jump in and Harrogate is a beautiful town, like absolutely beautiful. Um, if you haven't seen Harrogate, then it's definitely one to look up because the scenery in that, in that town is so, so gorgeous. So we get into this minibus and we drive... I think it was like 20 minutes down the road, maybe less. Um, we get to the Army Foundation College, where we are just chucked off the bus, and they say, right, walk down there to them uh, to the big shed. There was this huge shed on the side of a drill square. A drill square, for those of you who don't know um, what it is, it's basically a big concrete slab where you march on, where you do your parades on, or you do your drill on. That's what marching's called. So, big drill square, big shed, I had to go to the big shed, went to the big shed, there was a few people sitting down there with notebooks, and um, they said to me, oh, are you on the, the long course or the short course? And I wasn't too sure, I just kind of flapped to that point. And you know, you know when you're kind of sitting there and you're like, oh, fuck, what do I say? So I said short course, and they said, all right, what regiment are you joining? And I thought, okay, short course means only six months, so I'll be here for six months, happy days. And they said, I said, Colstrom Guards, and they said, oh, no, 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 you're on the long course, mate. So they chucked me onto the long course, which was 12 months, uh, just over 12 months till you're there. And um, I was like, okay, great. So I had to follow this line into a lecture theatre. When I got to the lecture theatre, they sat us down. There were parents there as well. So the people whose uh, parents came to drop them off and actually see them off. Uh, cheers, mum. <laughs> uh, they were there as well. And it was mainly like a presentation to show the parents what um, what they were going to be, what 
the kids are going to be going through and you know their transition from civilian life to army life and um, it was really glorified I mean it was such bullshit <laughs> god they love to feed people it's like when you see the army adverts nowadays and they're like yeah team building is the best thing like fuck off I'm sorry but the amount of times I got called a cunt is an excuse my language but <sighs> that's the army for you and going from um, from that lecture I went up to or I was shown where I was supposed to be go or supposed to be living which was the accommodation the lines we called them um, so it's just this big corridor uh, that has shared showers shared toilets um, shared rooms and you have four room or four separate rooms on each corridor um, one's for one section the other one's for another section and the section is filled with about 12 blokes um, and funny enough I was put in with the mixed platoon so not only was I with the guys but I was with the girls as well so I get into this room and I start unpacking I get told where my bed is and I just see this clump of guys just stood in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the room and that's when I realized these are the guys I'm going to be spending the next year with. And when I say spending the next year with, I mean we were going to be showering together, we were going to be shitting together, we were going to be eating together, we were going to be sleeping together in the same room in separate beds. Let me make that clear. <laughs> um, but the differences in backgrounds was crazy because I'll be honest, I, I never had a bad upbringing. I was very fortunate in my upbringing. My parents were fantastic to me. Um, not saying that anyone else's parents weren't, but in the case of going to a good school, you know, they always made sure that um, that I worked for money. They always made sure that I was clothed and I was fed and everything of the above. And I'm not saying that other people don't have that because, you know, people come from struggling backgrounds. And it was the differences between these guys that really kind of caught my eye because I was talking to one guy who was from Wales who's from Bridgend. And Bridgend, for those of you who don't know, is named the suicide capital of the UK because it has such a high drug problem. And, you know, he was telling me all this stuff and I was just thinking, fuck, like, I feel, I feel like the posh boy here. Like, you know, I don't feel like I belong here. But the more you get to know them guys, the better and the, the better friends, the better bond that you create. So um, there is one of them guys who will, will be coming on to the podcast as well. Uh, his name's Ethan, Ethan Payne. You can follow him on uh, his Instagram is coached by Payne and as uh, P-A-Y-N. Uh, I think there's an E there. I'll have to double check that. Sorry, mate. Um, but he is going to be coming on to the podcast to tell the story, to tell some of these stories as well. And he is also a bodybuilder. He left the army and has become a coach and a bodybuilder. So very similar to the way um, that I'm, well, the direction that I'm moving in now. And um, he's a funny guy as well. So I'm really happy to that he's agreed to come on and tell some stories as well at some point. So getting into this room and the bed space is it was so tiny but cozy as well and then you literally have two lockers a bed a desk and then on the other side of that is another another one's another person's bed space who has the same stuff and then i was right by the door so the layout to this room was you walk in there's a bed to your left, which was my bed. There was another bed on the other side of mine. There was a bed in front of her, in front of his. There was a bed in front of mine. 
and there was beds and lockers and uh, desks all the way down, all the way down the um, uh, the room. And obviously, when we stood outside, uh, getting a brief, getting introduced to who our directed staff were, we were allocated section commanders. We had a um, it was normally a corporal or a lance sergeant if they were from the guards. And we had a platoon sergeant. And then above her or him, we had a platoon commander who was an officer. And that's when you kind of get to see everyone for the first time. You see the guys from the other section. As I said, I was in a mixed section. So I saw the girls, uh, the girls section as well. And it was just very daunting at first because you're meeting all these new people that you realise I'm going to be spending the next year with these people. Like, you know, I don't know anyone here. It is weird, you know, and you're learning about everyone's backgrounds and you just, and it's, it's very interesting. So everyone is so diverse from where they come from, what they've been through, you know, where they went to school, where they grew up everything and bear in mind we're 16 17 year olds at this point so we're still very young and very excited to be in this whole new atmosphere so my section commander his name i'm not going to say on here um just because obviously i don't know if i have permission to but um he was a scary bastard and the best way is the way ethan described him was um which i agree with was he's just a skinny guy which a gust of wind could blow over but he was mega fit he was i mean fit as in physically fit and he was um and he was scary like you didn't want to get on the wrong side of this guy and from my beliefs he went on to do um a uh, special forces selection after he came, after he left harrogate for what i remember but yeah, we're, we're kind of getting introductions around the platoon, around the, uh, obviously you get a tour around the camp to say the do's and don'ts, what you can use, what you can't use, where you have to go. Within the first six weeks, you're not allowed to go anywhere um, unless the platoon does. And then um, you get kitted up and you start getting your uniform, you start getting, uh, at first you get these really manky fucking track suits that they give you, they'll say Army Foundation College on them. So everyone's uniformed. So everything in the army is uniformality. So everyone looks the same. Um, the guys, we all had to get our haircuts. We had to have a number one all over, which was just horrible <laughs> to like do a next extent. Um, and then uh, I never forget when, because um, it was my first, my first time really getting told off in the army was when we were waiting to get our uniform. And I was talking to somebody and um, I think I, I think I was just talking over one of the corporals by accident, and um, that's when they turn around to me. They're like, "Oh well, shut the fuck up," <laughs> and that's when I kind of kind of stood there and looked at them, thinking, "Shit, like I'm not in school anymore. I can't, I can't get away with being cheeky and being the little shit I was in school. Like this is, you know, this is real. <laughs> this isn't something that I can." I can just over like you know play around with this is serious now so those started my army career and don't get me wrong I will be going into what it was like in the army in general I mean I had seven years of experience within the army uh, but we're mainly talking about what it's like to join the army at 16 and kind of cramming in that year into this podcast if I can I mean there's so many stories and I'm sure when Ethan comes on he will remind me of some that I've probably forgotten about 
So, there was this one guy that I want to talk about, and I'm not going to name him because I, <laughs> I can't name him, obviously because of permission-wise, and because I don't want... I'm not trying to belittle him in any way, sense, or form, but some of the funniest stories originate from this guy, and we're going to call him Sloth. That's the best way to describe him. Sloth from the Goonies, or just a general Sloth, because that's exactly what he resembled his body structure the way he was he was he was a nice guy but it was it was just shocking how much he was not made for the army <laughs> and we could all see it like it's not so much like you know it's kind of like a pack of wolves but you weed out the weak you know you have to be strong in these situations but more importantly you have to work together and if one of you fucks up all of you fuck up. That is the general blanket punishment thing within the army. And this guy constantly fucked up. And I could tell you so many stories about him. Like when we had a room inspection, um, we would have <clears throat> we would have room inspections uh, on the daily where our section commanders would come in and they would check our lockers. Uh, they would check our bed spaces, check the rooms, make sure everything is clean, the ablutions, everything. And just the little things, like they would go over and check his bed space. Everyone else would be immaculate because we operated as a really well-in-tuned section, all of us. And then the section commander would go over to his, pull out his boot, turn it upside down, and a fucking Skittles packet would fall out. Like <laughs> That's just the, the level of just... You know, it's <laughs> just the one way to fuck it up for all of us with a Skittles packet. And the little things like that is something that you get on, you get so much. And it is such a nightmare, but it is funny as well at the time. There was also another time which, um, we're not going to include Sloth in this one, but there was another friend of mine who really, really made me laugh. So we... At one point we had a bit of a change in our command structure and we had this guy who was a bombardier, which is the equivalent to a corporal in the Royal Artillery. He was coming around to do us uh, do a room in <laughs> he was coming around to do a room inspection. And he he went to the end and he was a dick by the way. Like this guy was a top notch arsehole and he wasn't even liked by the other staff because he was just a knob. And he he walked into our room and he starts doing the inspection. And he just starts shouting at one of the guys. And he's like, what the fuck is this? Your bed space is dirty. Look at this under your bed. And he picks up a handful of socks. <laughs> and you can imagine what them socks were used for. If, um, if you have a bit of a dirty mind. <laughs> he picked them up in his hand. And he was waving them in his face. Going, these fucking dirty socks. Like, he had a real problem with these socks not knowing what he was holding <laughs> but my god we could not hold the laughter in and then he was turned around and was like why the fuck are you all laughing this guy's let you down and even he was laughing like we weren't bothered about the fact it's been let down we were in stitches but things like that really really keep you going and then being at that age as well you get a military id so, I was fortunate enough to turn 18 whilst I was at Harrogate. So, I got away with going out on nights out because there was a system that we had on the weekends after the first six weeks and you have the rest of the year there on the weekends or when you're not working on weekends, you get to go home or you stay in camp and you can explore the local areas but you have to come back to camp by a certain time. 
So what we used to do was get our parents to write in saying we were going home, because that was the way it worked. We got our parents to write in saying we were going home. We would then go and book a hotel in Leeds or York or wherever we would go out. It was mainly Leeds. And you're letting a load of 16, 17, 18 year olds let loose on the streets in Leeds. <laughs> and most of the time we didn't get asked for ID. The times that we did, obviously I got away with it because of my, uh, my birthday. Um, and the times before that, I was, I think there was once or twice we went out when I wasn't 18 yet, and I still managed to get into places. Um, but then all the guys kind of got really crafty with it, and they, uh, they managed to change the dates of birth and their military IDs, because military ID is a form of government ID. So everyone managed to get into the clubs with that, and it was brilliant. You know, we were going out every weekend we could, and it was the guys, it was the girls, it was the whole, most of Harrogate, and... We we used to tear up these hotel rooms. So I'm talking like 50 blokes in one at, at times. You know, you just let a load of blokes who have been crammed in this um, this like college, and we've been learning army stuff for so long now, and we just get let out on the loose in Leeds. Like you know, no one's gonna know. No one's gonna tell on us. It was so so good, and. Then there were some people who didn't come out with us, uh, Sloth being one of them, he didn't come out with us, uh, but there were times where we'd go out on the weekends. One story with Sloth, which I will tell you about, because it was so funny. So, if any of you are uh, familiar with the Leeds kind of area up there, there's this place called Winston's. Winston's is a well-known brothel in, I think, Wakefield, or somewhere in Leeds just outside of Leeds and Winston's is a disgusting hellhole of a place <laughs> and Sloth has decided I'm gonna try and get in with the lads and try you know be one with the guys and go to this brothel so he did he comes back later with blood dripping down his jeans and we were like what the fuck has happened to you and he had a Newcastle accent. I can't do a great one, but his voice kind of sounded like, like a weird man. This is what my voice sounds like. That's how he sounded. And he came in and he goes, Oh, weird man, lads, I've, I've snapped me banjo. <laughs> we were like, hold on, what? And he said he paid this sex worker an extra £10 to go in the back doors. And he snapped his banjo. For those of you who don't know what a banjo is, Google it. And I don't mean the instrument. And there was just blood everywhere. And he was in so much pain, but it was the funniest fucking thing I had ever seen. <laughs> so, there are some really funny times. And like I said, I can't remember all of them, but I can remember a good majority of them. And I won't be able to cram them all in, but I won't, when Ethan comes on the pod, we will, we will get him to tell some more. And um, we could definitely go down that route of remembering some more horrible stories. One I do remember of Ethan was when the neck nominations were going around in 2013. <clears throat> um, I'm pretty sure there's a video of it somewhere. <laughs> and uh, he did the most disgusting neck nomination I've ever seen in my life. And I will post, uh, we will talk about it when he comes on. Because that was something I... I I don't know how anyone can stomach what he downed that day. And it was just the worst mixture of liquids 
you can imagine. And I'm not talking about drinks. I'm talking like soap, shampoo, human urine, everything. It was unbelievably amazing. <laughs> There's a video of it somewhere, which I need to find. <laughs> um, so moving forward, going joining the army at such a young age, obviously you are being taught day in, day out, what it is like to become a soldier. You're getting your base foundation or your foundation training there at the Army Foundation College. Bear in mind, you also get add-ons such as um, an IT diploma. If you didn't make uh, certain maths and English grades, you can redo them, which I did, and that gives you a B equivalent uh, of a GCSE, so then at least you're not completely, if you failed your GCSEs like I did, you're not completely buggered, you know, if you do go down the intellectual route. But there is also other opportunities, so you get to choose a sport and a skill. A skill could be anything from artistic work to horse riding. I chose horse riding as a laugh and I actually got it. Strangely enough, really enjoyed it. I got my own horse. She was amazing. Um, learned to ride a horse at a young age. It was brilliant. And then also you get to choose a sport. My sport was triathlon. So I was a keen boxer back then as well, but I also really wanted to do triathlon because I was a very keen runner. Um, swimming and cycling, not so much, but I wanted to do it all. So we used to train, I think it was every Wednesday night you'd train with your sport. And it was a great opportunity to get out of camp, to go and do something that is fun. You know, you do a bit of fitness, you do some training. Then also the triathlon team got offered to go to Lanzarote, which was amazing for somebody who is 17 years old, going to Lanzarote to, I think it was called Club La Santa or Resort La Santa. It was a resort where most Olympic teams would go to to train for uh, big events. And we got to go there really, really cheap as well. And day in day out you'd be training but you'd also be relaxing by the pool you'd have set schedules but you could all you could do whatever you wanted basically um to the extent obviously you had to train for the certain events like when we were training for triathlons um we did a half marathon we did cycles in and around the um, the volcanoes over there and we also did um uh, a lot of swimming as well and I went to Lanzarote straight after my first ever download festival that I went to with my friend from my section. Um, me and him became very, very good friends. And um, he was from Carlisle. So Carlisle, again, is way away from London. There was also a time where he came down to, uh, to London for the first time. I took him around. I went up to Carlisle for the first time. He took me around. And that's the sort of bond you make with these guys. You know, you, you become such close friends. And it is more like a brotherhood than it ever will be just a friendship but that also goes to show you from the lanzarote to the higher education that you can learn more stuff in the army it's not just a case of you join the army you learn to use a gun and you shoot things it was a case of developing yourself as a person and obviously through that time you are learning to become a soldier as well so a big thing about becoming a soldier is you learn to go on exercise so you learn to sleep in the forest um you learn to do tactical movements to uh, operate as a platoon, operate as a section, what happens when you come under enemy fire, all of that sort of stuff you learn on training exercises out in the field. 
So the field exercises are very tame at first when you go to Harrogate, but the more you do them or the longer they get, the more daunting they become. And because we had such a such a hardcore section commander, he used to make us TAB, which is a tactical insertion into battle, um, which is basically just walking at fast pace with weight on your back. And we used to patrol and tab for miles and miles and miles across the hills, across the mountains, all of that jazz. And it was, when we had him, it was hardcore. There was a time where um, we switched out uh, and we got a different section commander and he was part of the uh, Royal Logistics Corps. And he was just this fat slob with a beret on top of him. And he used to make us patrol on roads, so it was great. <laughs> but then after that we got put with another section commander who was good mates with our first one and um, he was also a gleaming bloke but yeah he made us tab the ridiculous routes as well so that was annoying <laughs> um, there were times on exercise where we'd get caught fucking about a bit like we had the what are called PRR radios so they're small radios that, um, that are for you personally to use we would have them on the sentry positions and we used to talk to each other on them. We'd go on a separate frequency. We'd be talking about... I think there was one conversation between me and my friend who I went to download with. And um, we were talking about what it's like to, <laughs> to to poo out rations. Because rations are what you eat out there. And they really do clog you up. Like There are so many calories in these rations to obviously keep you going for energy. But they do really clog you up. And when you do eventually go to the toilet, it is brutal. And uh, we were talking about that over the radio, and then this female section commander, who was with obviously the female, um, the female sections, she comes on the radio. She was like, "Wrong frequency, dickhead! Stop fucking talking about that." <laughs> obviously, just like little things like that. I mean, it's funny at the t it wasn't funny to us at the time because obviously we got in shit for it, but it was funny looking back at it now, and we did also find it funny back then too. So the whole emphasis of the army is to build you, is to break you down and build you back up. They did a good job of that, especially at that young, because I could say about going to, to Catrick, the infantry training centre, it wasn't as hard. And I don't know why. I was only there for 14 weeks when you're training to become a guardsman. And it wasn't as hard. It really was not as hard. Um, we, we got put through our paces to a next extent, especially from a young age. You're learning all this stuff, you know, it's all new to you. By the time you get to your set, uh, your phase two training, which mine was in the infantry training center, it wasn't as hard because you were, um, you know, you were used to it by then. You know, it was just another case of getting it done and then going to your battalions. Uh, so towards the end of Harrogate, there are more stories, as I said, but I'm trying to cram in as much as I can within the time that we got. Um, Towards the end of Harrogate, we um, we did our final exercise in our battle camp, which was probably the hardest two weeks of my life. Not realistically, talking about now, but back then it was brutal. So we went away on our final training exercise, uh, which was in a place called Gerlock Head in Scotland, where there was a new—I think there's a nuclear power plant up there. But basically, this place has its own ecosystem. There is so much shit in the air in that place because it is cold it is if it's hot it's raining it's weird it's snowing 
We were just having the worst time. We were constantly wet. We were constantly patrolling around, carrying heavy kit. Um, and just moments of madness from that exercise. If you look up Gerdok head on Google Images, I'm assuming you'll see what it looks like. It is just a horrible, horrible place to be living in the woods in. It is just brutal. So from there we went to our battle camp. And a battle camp is basically um, your final extremely tough training sort of um, exercise, I'd call it. So there was an abandoned, I don't know if it was abandoned, but there was a big aeroplane hangar with loads of beds in it. That's where we slept. Our showers were tents with a bean tin and you had to partner up with your mate and you'd go in there and the, there was a bean tin hanging from a piece of string with holes poked to the bottom of it and your mate would pour water in there you'd wash yourself down you'd pour water in there he'd wash himself down you'd put soap on you you would just do that together completely naked all comfortable all well and you would do that a lot you would always shower with the guys you know you'd have a laugh um but that place just wasn't a laugh. There was nothing about that place which was a laugh. The last and final test that we did in that place, I never forget it, because it broke me to the point where I was so angry at the end. And, and I've done bayonet courses and things like that since, and just nothing got to me as much as it did with that, with that place. Um, we did what was called a march and shoot. So we tabbed out for about five or six miles, we shot at a few targets and then we marched back. And on our march back, we get to this, I'd say bun line, but it was um, just like a, blo a block of uh, block of trees. And we get there, we put our bags down, we put our weapons down, we get greeted by this Scots Guard sergeant who was known for being an absolute horrible piece of work. <laughs> and he walks up to us and goes, oh, you're right, guys. How was your march and shoot? You get on well? And we're all thinking, oh, wait a second, <laughs> that doesn't seem right. He shouldn't be talking to us like this. And he just goes, oh, good, yeah, no, I'm glad, um, I'm glad. Well, that, that's the thing, is it's all over now, guys. We're, uh, we're going to go. We're going to go back. We're going to pat the, pat the coach. And that, to you, is like the biggest sigh of relief when you hear that you are going back to your camp and you get hot showers, good hot food. You don't have to live in shit anymore. And then he starts screaming, Is it fuck over? Get on your fucking belt buckles and start fucking crawling. And that was the point we knew that, okay, this is the bayonet lane where aggression really has to come out at this stage. And it's you do your bayonet training classes before. Um, a funny story, and I'm not going to hold back on this because it was fucking hilarious, is one of the girls, um, when we were doing our bayonet training, when we were stabbing targets, getting aggressive, you know, learning to control the anger, she ran up to a target on the floor, she hit the target of what we thought, and she just turns around crying her eyes out, and we were like, what the fuck has happened? And she's just turned around and and we look and we're like what the fuck has she done and she has put the bayonet at the end anyone who doesn't know what a bayonet is a bayonet is like a like a big knife or a sort of what is originally a sword on the end of your rifle she put it straight through her boot <laughs> we were like oh my fucking god she's just stabbed herself in the fucking foot oh wow um so yeah that happened um 
that was on the bayonet training and that was brutal because you're crawling around you're being made to run up and down you're getting physically agitated and, aggr and aggressive through the means of being what we like to call beasted whereas they just give you an absolute physical melting um <clears throat> So back onto the bayonet course, we get into this river, and the first thing I hear is one of my corporals, who actually ended up joining the costume guards, really nice guy, only problem is, he was Fijian. For anyone who knows Fijian people, they are beautiful people, they are lovely people, they are incredibly well-mannered people, but when they want to be scary, you wouldn't want to go within 10 feet of them or actually no 100 feet of them they are terrifying people <laughs> that's probably why they're so good at rugby um so we get to this this river and he looks at me and he goes wells what regiment are you joining and i went the coldstream guards a corporal and he just was coldstream you like cold streams do you chucks me in this river bear in mind this is about I think it was December or January slash February time in the middle of Scotland. It was freezing. And I think there was about three or four people who went down with hypothermia as well. I get put in this river by him and I'm getting dragged by my helmet cover or my helmet that I was wearing. And he's just dragging me through this, uh, this thing and he goes, why the fuck are you in my river? I was like, oh, I don't know, Corporal. I was told to be here. And he was just like, no, that's not the fucking answer I heard. I'm going to use you as a stepping stone to get across this river. He drags me further into the river and then just stands on my head. So I'm basically getting fucking drowned at this point. I was like, oh my fucking God. And obviously you can't really say anything at that stage. You just have to get on with it. And then you complete the bayonet course, you stab a few targets, you use your aggression, you get through it. At the end, the padre or the chaplain is waiting for you to make sure you're okay and calm. <laughs> and that was it. And then there's obviously a medic tent for the people who did go down with hypothermia. Like I said, it was freezing. So that was pretty much it towards the end. And then towards the end, or to the end of that, we went and did our pass out parade where all our families were there. You know, we passed out as phase one soldiers. Going back to the funny story side, it just reminded me in my head. There was this one platoon sergeant we had, and she was, oh, it was a female platoon sergeant. And she was nice. She was, well, nice the, to the extent of being a person. But as a platoon sergeant, she was pretty ruthless to an extent. But she, we were going to Normandy at one point to do a uh, tour of war or a um, history of war tour. And we're going to, we're getting prepared to go to Normandy. Obviously, you know what happened with the D-Day landings. Amazing place. If you ever get to go to Normandy, I really recommend it. It's an incredibly, incredibly emotional place. And it is something that I think a lot of people should experience just to understand the size of the war. Nobody, I never understood until I saw the American war graves. They were unbelievable amounts of war graves. But aside from that, we were getting ready to go. And uh, we were standing in, in our corridor getting a brief about Normandy. She turns around, our platoon sergeant, and goes, um, so is everyone happy with that? Are we all comprende with that? And we were like, what? And she goes, yeah, I've, uh, I've been practicing my French. And I went, I turned around to the guy next to me and I'm pretty sure it was Ethan at this point. And I was like, this is fucking Spanish. <laughs> she's not talking fucking French <laughs> so we all started laughing our heads off and uh, she, and she turned around she's like what the fuck are you lot laughing at and we went nothing sergeant nothing we denied it to the end 
And then uh, she was like, right, push-ups now. So we started doing push-ups and she wouldn't make us, she would say we weren't not, not gonna stop until, um, until, <laughs> until we finished the push-ups. Uh, or sorry, until we told her what was going on. So I was the one who then ended up turning around and <laughs> said to her, well, Sergeant, you said comprende and that you were practicing French. But it's Spanish. <laughs> the guys are trying not to laugh and we just got beasted for the rest of the afternoon. But that was one story that just popped up in my head, which I thought was was quite funny. But yeah, it goes to show you when you join the army, it's not intellectual, but it is character building. It is um, common sense, most of it. But it is fun. It is a lot of fun. So what I say to a lot of people, when the army's good, it's really good. When it is shit, it is really shit. <clears throat> so I think we're going to conclude that there. That was pretty much Harrogate in a nutshell from my perspective. Joining the army at 16, leaving school, going through the processes of going to selection, and then joining the army and leaving home for the first time ever by myself to go to a completely alien world. Obviously, I have a lot more stories of the army, um, a lot more funny stories, a lot more brutal stories, um, but they will come out in later podcasts. So if you did, if you do like uh, what you hear or what you heard today, or if you want to hear more, please do drop a follow. You can find the podcast on Instagram where I'll be updating every, all the news about the the podcast. It's um, at Mortal Insights Podcast and. I'm really looking forward to doing more of these. I've got a couple of guests already lined up that I'm really hoping to get on here soon. As I said, my friend Ethan, who was there with me in training, he will be able to tell us more stories about that, maybe ones I forgot, and just go through the experience together. I will have a lot more to publish on here. This is the first podcast. I wanted to give you guys a basic insight of what it was like to be as 16 years old going into this this alien world of the army at such a young age when none of my friends did it was just me out of all of my friends that i had at the time so as i said i hope you enjoyed the podcast please do drop a follow if you want to hear more i will be releasing the next episode hopefully in a week or two um it just depends on who i'm having on but i'm going to try and make this a weekly or at least fortnightly thing so we can keep that listener retention, keep you guys interested and keep you, uh, give you guys some good stories, you know? So thank you very much. If you are keen bodybuilders or you're interested in fitness, you're welcome to follow me on at morganwells underscore BB. That is my bodybuilding Instagram. And I will always be online if you guys have any questions, anything you want to add in, anything you want me to talk about on the podcast, please do just drop a message to either one of the... Um, either one of my Instagram accounts, mainly my uh, the podcast Instagram, because then obviously it directly relates to it. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you very much. Take care.